Good morning. I'm Anna Marie, and it's time again for Focus. Today, we're going to talk about suicide prevention, and we're going to talk about who it affects, give you some information about what to look for and how to get help. Let's welcome Dr. Megan Cuson-Lark. She's the Executive Director of School Counseling in Metro. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate you having us today. we got a lot to cover, don't we? Yes, ma'am. Okay, so normally we hear a little bit more about suicide prevention uh, in the month of September because... September is National Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. Mm -hmm. And so although we hear a lot during this time, it is a a very serious topic that we should be talking about on a regular basis because it impacts us daily. Yeah. Tell us how big a problem this is. It has impacted over 1,000 lives per year. What do you mean impacted? Um, It's the second leading cause of death for children and young adults ages 10 to 24 in the state of Tennessee. So over 100 students and young adults per year are dying by suicide. Ages 10 to 24. Yes, ma'am. Second leading cause of death. Correct. Behind what, do you know? Um, Behind car accidents. Okay, so car crashes, number one, and then suicide, the second leading cause of death for young people. Yes, ma'am. It crosses all races, genders, ethnic groups, so anyone can be impacted by it. And we're seeing that on a daily basis. Are there things that we can look out for to see if our loved one is at risk of suicide? Yes, there's a lot of warning signs that we need to be aware of. Um, Most of the time, suicide can be prevented. And four out of five people who attempt suicide usually give warning signs. We just have to be aware of what they are. So a lot of times, people who are thinking about suicide will talk about it. They'll make statements about feeling hopeless or helpless or worthless. Um, A lot of times, also, there's a deep depression. Um, 80% of people who attempt suicide usually are depressed or have been diagnosed as having clinical depression. There's a preoccupation with deaths, a loss of interest in things that people care about, and that also there may be calling or visiting loved ones or giving away items that they usually would normally care about. They're giving them away. And so those are some signs that we can be aware of. We're talking about suicide prevention. And so number one, would you said 80% of people who attempt suicide are depressed or have been diagnosed with clinical depression? Or some type of mental illness, correct. Okay, so that's a pretty big indicating factor right there. It is. So yes. already you you might know that your loved one could be at risk. Yes. And then you start kind of looking for the other signs. Looking for the other signs. And there can be triggers or other risk factors that um, ultimately give that final hopelessness for the person. Sometimes if there's like a loss of a, of a loved one, whether it's through death or if sometimes when students or, or people break up with someone that they've loved or they've get, gotten divorced, then that can cause it a loss of a job. Anything where there's that grief that can cause that. Sometimes uh, people who also identify as LGBTQIA, which is lesbian, gay, queer, bisexual, transgender, intergender or asexual will have a higher risk of attempting suicide. And this may be just due to either not being out about it, people not being accepting of it, or just just having anxiety or stress about living as, as someone who identifies as LGBTQI. Okay. So we have a start to kind of be on our guard mm-hmm. for those loved ones in our lives who might be at risk. 
And then what do we do if we think we see the, the symptoms? Maybe someone seems like they're depressed and they're, they just got dumped by their partner. Well, I think the biggest thing is to talk about it. Talk about how they're feeling. Talking about suicide doesn't make someone try to attempt suicide. If anything, you're listening to feelings and and their concerns. We want to get help for that person. So if that means if you feel like a person is actively suicidal, they're having current suicidal ideations or thinking about it, then we need to get them help. We can do that either by calling 911, asking for a wellness check, or you can take them to a hospital or maybe one of our walk-in clinics, like through Mental Health Cooperative, who does 24 hours a day, seven days a week assessment, but we need to get them help. Once assessed, then from there, they can determine what is the best course of action Mm -hmm. or treatment. So in other words, um, do they need medication? Do we need counseling? What will be the best way to work through the stress, the anxiety, the depression, whatever it is that's causing those feelings of hopelessness? Because ultimately, people who are having suicidal ideations feel hopeless. And we have to just get past that hopelessness so that, that they can work through that and know that that is not the final option. So how do people who are considering suicide typically get help? Is it someone else intervening or is it them reaching out for help? Well, I think we can see it both ways. Um, Since we know that most people try to reach out, it's just a matter of are we listening? Are we listening and hearing truly what's being said? And so if they're reaching out, sometimes they may say, hey, I'm feeling sad, I'm depressed, I need help, right? That mm-hmm. that straightforward. Sometimes um, in, in people will see self-harm. So they may be cutting themselves, trying to get out some of the pain. Um, and so those are signs we see where they're self-harming themselves, but not attempting suicide. They're just self-harming. And then other times they'll express it, whether it's in writings, on social media, um, with their friends, We see that a lot of times friends know, they just don't know how to report it or who to report it to and what to do with the information they have. And so I think that's the biggest thing is people reach out, then we have to just speak out about it. Mm -hmm. And so in other words, we need to ensure that they get the help they need. And so if you're a young adult, that means telling a parent, a, a teacher, a school counselor, telling someone who can get them that help. But just don't keep it inside and just don't um, not speak about it because we have to ensure that they get the assistance and the help they need. If you're just joining us, I'm Anna Marie and this is Focus and we're talking about suicide prevention with Dr. Megan Cuson-Lark. She's the executive director of school counseling in Metro. And we're talking about seeing the signs, seeing the symptoms, seeing somebody asking for help and making sure that we recognize it and hear it. I've heard people say things like, boy, I just I wish I I almost wish I didn't wake up in the morning. I was thinking about just driving my car off a cliff on the way home. Just people being in despair. And so what do you ask them? What do you say? What do you do? Where do I call to get some some information on that? Well, I mean, sometimes, obviously, you know, we want someone who has the experience, the clinical experience to really be able to assess someone to truly do that. And in the school system, when counselors or social workers are made aware that a student is having suicidal ideations, then we um, have is that a suicidal ideation. It could be. So there's there's other things we look for, like intent, or is there a plan? See, and, this is what we need. That's this is what we need as individuals to have in our arsenal, so we can fight this. 
Right. And so I think the biggest thing is, so someone sometimes make comments. A lot of times in younger people, not just younger kids, but anyone may just make a comment. Oh, I wish I were dead. Right. But then with that, then we need to go further. Well, what do you mean by that? Tell me what, why do you feel that way? Or when you say that, what do you mean? And then if there's a plan to it, like an actual plan of how it's going to be carried out, that's when you need to worry because that means it's been thought out and that the intent is there and it could be actionable and, and, and put in place. Right. And so, um, a plan being like what a plan of, I'm going to go and, um, shoot myself or, you know, I mean, sometimes people have actual plans of how they want to die. And so, when we hear that, then that should be like a big alarm going off in our head, and we need to get them immediate assistance. In the schools, we use a screener where we assess students. It's called the Columbia Suicide Severity Rating Scale, and that's one that's used pretty much across the nation by a lot of the clinics or mobile crisis teams to really just kind of rate and see where people are in their thought process. But with that, what you also have to remember is that self-reporting. So I can tell you what I want you to know. Mm -hmm. So even when you're asking questions, people may not always tell you what you need to know to truly get them the help they need. They're going to tell you what they want you to know. That's why I was asking what what can we do on our end of things because... I'm thinking if they go, well, I I just wish I were dead, then they're not going to go immediately to the hospital. They're not going to go, well, let's just go to the, you know, the walk-in mental health assessment clinic. Right. So we need some intermediate tools, it seems like. So, and I think the questioning, looking for those signs, like have they given away items? Have they talked a lot about death? Have you seen a big change in them? Are they not able to sleep? Are they having kind of um, manic, depressive type of episodes where they're real happy and then they go to the extreme of really sad? Has their eating changed? I mean, you have to look at the big picture knowing them. And those are just some general symptoms, but no one person shows the same symptoms. Uh So. So you can't say if they don't have these, it doesn't mean that they're not considering suicide because people show you what they want you to see. Yes. There's a lot of people who have mental illnesses that you would never know because they never show them to you. Right. When you're around them, they struggle or they hide them because of the fact that um, mental illness talking about suicide and suicidal ideations has become so taboo and stigmatized. And I think that's the biggest thing why I'm thankful that you have us here today, because we have to end the stigma. We have to talk about it. We need people to be aware because it's killing hundreds and thousands of people a year. And it's preventable if we just listen and we reach out. I wonder why it hasn't become more acceptable. I mean, we've had such a change and such progress and so many ways of accepting people as they are where they are in their lives but with mental health and with depression with suicidal thoughts we have we made progress i think we've made some progress but not as much as we need i think mental illness and mental health um, people are becoming more aware of it But I think because you can't see it like you can a lot of illnesses and diseases, people don't realize and understand. Um, Recently, we had a a student pass away in the district, and I had never heard it quite explained like this. But once it was explained by the parent, it made a lot of sense. 
And, you know, when someone has an illness or cancer, we can try to treat it, right? There's medications we give or chemotherapy. And with mental illness, we do something similar, right? We can give some medications, we can send a counseling, we can do therapy, we can just try to support that person as much as possible as we would someone with a physical illness. But the reality is both illnesses ultimately could take a person's life. And the mom said, the disease got my my child. And so when we look at it like that, whether it's mental or physical, they're all sicknesses and illnesses, and we shouldn't be afraid to talk to them, be, talk about them, because they can impact us and and have effects on our families and our friends, just the way a physical illness would, uh, mental health illnesses also can. If you're just joining us, this is Focus, and we're talking about suicide prevention with Dr. Megan Cuson-Lark, the Executive Director of School Counseling in Metro Nashville Public Schools. In Metro? Just in Metro? In Metro. Do people who are depressed or people who are possibly thinking about suicide tend to try and self-medicate, try and take away the pain with drugs or alcohol more than people who are not in such a state of mind? Like any type of illness, um, people can self-medicate. They can do it with drugs, alcohol. Some people self-harm. There's different addictions, right, that people use to try to fill that void or that hopelessness or whatever it is they're trying to to fill. But the reality is, you know, we need to, those are just temporary, right? And and eventually the pain or whatever it is we're feeling is still there. And so we really need to work through whatever it is. So if it's mental illness, then we need to, you know, whether it's medication, counseling, whatever, we need to ensure that we get the help that's needed. If it's um, something deeper than that, past experiences um, in, in schools, we call them ACEs, adverse childhood experiences that um, students may have had that are impacting them and making them feel hopeless, then we have to help them work through that, right? And Mm -hmm. it's teaching them ways to cope, teaching them ways to find hope. Because I think ultimately, in the end, it's just seeing that there's hope still there. And we have to find out what are those things that are keeping us hopeful and help help people recognize that. Because like anyone, mental illness or not, right, we have to have hope for for ourselves, for our futures. And um, it's when we lose that hope that a lot of times you'll see students or people who are considering suicide. And so that's what we want, just people to recognize, to speak out, to make sure you intervene because it is preventable. And I think that's the biggest thing. Sometimes in a lot of diseases and illnesses, we can medicate and we can try to help and it doesn't make a difference, right? But with suicide, if we know, we can try to prevent. It doesn't mean in the end it's always going to stop, but we can try as hard as possible to prevent it from occurring by just being aware. I like that. I think we need a a slogan. It's uh, learn to cope and how to have hope. I think that's very important and I think maybe that might be part of what is needed. The hope is is the biggest thing for me. I mean, teaching young adults and going from the groundwork in the schools, we talk a lot about social-emotional learning. And with that, it is teaching kids coping skills. How do you problem-solve? How do you communicate? How do you do all of these things? But I think as adults, we also have to learn that sometimes oh, if, yeah. if we haven't been taught that in the past. And the reality is, is just finding other ways to express ourselves yeah. that don't hurt ourselves, 
right? Yeah. And to to relieve that pain. So hopefully not through self-medication or through um, self-harm, but we find other mechanisms to cope. Now, when mental illness is involved, obviously it's not quite that easy, but I think if we find ways to um, get the treatment needed, the counseling needed, then that just is an added layer Mm -hmm. to try to prevent. Okay, so what about mental illness and suicide prevention? So I think just like we've talked is, you know, mental illness, there's that stigma. We need to ensure people know that there's help out there. And so whether it's depression, anxiety, bipolar, you know, borderline personality, whatever it is, there there are numerous mental illnesses that could lead to people feeling hopeless. But there's national organizations such as NAMI, it's the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And um, with that, there are a lot of stories on their website that talk about people who have um, overcome, have found courage, and who have spoken out about themselves and their lives, of how they've gotten through um, their mental illness and or their suicidal ideations. And it really just shows their stories of hope and courage and, and overcoming. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, we don't want to ever think like mental illness just disappears, right? Normally people who are diagnosed with mental illness, it, it continues throughout the lifetime. And so it's just a matter of how do we work with it and, and trying to figure out what is the best way for treatment so that we can live a relatively, I, I won't say normal because I don't think life is, is normal in the sense, but so we can live our lives in a way that we're at peace, we have hope, and that we can live a life. Yeah, and not only have hope, but have some joy in our life. Correct. Instead of just always having that dread or anxiety right. hanging over them. And so you said NAMI, National Alliance of... On Mental Illness. On Mental Illness. If we're talking about kids, what about suicide with kids? And you were talking about young people uh, between 10 and 24, you said? Right. That being the second leading cause of death. What can we do so about I, that? I think the thing is just to be aware, right, as as parents, as friends, to be aware of um, situations that cause anxiety and stress to, to young people. A lot of times it may be different than what adults, you know, one thing that to an adult may seem like this is, this is um, nothing serious, right? Um, but to a, a young adult or a child, it sends them over the top, right? Yeah. And so we need to be aware of um, those, those things that are stressors to them and also be aware of those signs that we discussed in young yeah. adults because they look similar regardless of the age. In young adults, though, I mean, kids who are maybe can't speak or communicate as well, I mean, because suicide is going down now to eight, nine-year-olds. We've seen it in the national news. And so um, the more we're aware of it, we talk about it with our kids, not so much suicide, but talk about what do, how do we problem solve? How do we um, communicate when something's wrong or when we're feeling sad? How do we cope, right, with with different situations and work with them through that? Because I think the more as parents and as friends and colleagues, we can work through people with people through their experiences, their negative experiences and or positive experiences. I think that just helps them to to know how to cope and to to learn those skills. And And it'll help them for the rest of their lives. Correct. What about bullying and its effect on suicide? 
I think nationally, I I don't have those exact percentages here. And bullying, in some cases in the news, we seem to see it a lot that it was bullying. But when you look at the overall numbers, it's a very small percentage of people are bullied and then attempt suicide. And so, um, but it does happen. It is one of maybe the stressors that can cause it, um, in addition to all the other numerous ones we discussed. Does a stressor for a kid, would that tend to be something that makes them feel isolated or singled out or alone? It could be, or it could be where they feel that great loss. And sometimes also we have young adults who maybe have had some type of trauma occur recently or or previously, and then it's just been triggered. So whether it was child abuse or sexual abuse or um, some type of domestic violence. So all of those things together can, can be stressors for children. It's just you never know what that one thing will be mm-hmm. to get them to the point where they're feeling that hopelessness. We have more families now than ever that are affected by drug abuse. Do we have any numbers or any information on how when parents are addicted to drugs, does it affect the child's mental health? Drugs, alcohol. So in in the schools, we call them adverse childhood experiences. And so there are different things such as sexual abuse, physical abuse, domestic violence, parent was an alcoholic or grew up in an alcoholic family or a family where there was drug abuse. So there's there's a list of about 14, 15 different topics or things that could have occurred within a child's lifetime that negatively impacts them. Mm-hmm. And so with that, we know that it does impact, but our, our goal is to form kind of like barriers form, buffers form, so it doesn't impact them as much. And what we found is that relationships and building relationships with one or two central people, so it doesn't necessarily have to be a parent. It could be um, a teacher. It could be a friend's parent. It could be a coach. It could be really anyone, a clergy person. It doesn't matter necessarily who it is, but if they can form one or two strong relationships with with someone where they feel connected, where they can go, then we found that that actually impacts um, children and young adults more so. So those who are especially at risk because of these adverse, what did you call it? Adverse childhood experiences. Then if they can at least form a connection with other is this other adults other figures of authority it could be any it could be adults it could be even um, someone who's maybe just a couple years older than them but it's just a relationship where they feel love where they feel connected where they feel valued and um, feel heard and so I think that's the most important thing just a connectedness to someone so um, statistics and much research has shown that just building that relationship is a buffer to a lot of those experiences But then, of course, teaching the coping, the problem solving, um, the communication, everything that we would do in social emotional learning, that also helps to uh, positively impact um, a person from those negative impacts they experienced previously. Before we go any further, if you're just joining us, I want to let you know this is Focus. I'm Anna Marie. Our guest is Dr. Megan Cuson-Lark, the Executive Director of School Counseling in Metro. And we're talking about suicide prevention. We want to give you a couple of resources real quickly before we wrap up. Yes, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. You can call 1-800-273-TALK. There will be a crisis counselor who will talk you through whatever you are going through. Mm -hmm. Additionally, if you don't want to talk to someone but want to text with them, you can text... 
capital T N for Tennessee to seven four one seven four one. And they'll get back with you and hook you up to whoever you need to be talking to. Correct. TN to 741-741. I think we all need to feel loved, valued, connected, and heard. And we all need coping skills. Correct. All of us. And so we're trying to do that with kids in school. That's the goal. So through Metro National Public Schools is strongly focused on social-emotional learning. And um, as... Socio-emotional. Social-emotional. Social-emotional. learning, it's called. It's SEL. And um, with that, you're really just trying to teach young adults social skills. We call them emotional skills, but like coping would be one of them. Um, and, and that has shown great impact. So not to get too technical here, but like um, Maslow, um, he talked about this pyramid, this triangle, right? And that there's different needs. And from the bottom, it's like food and water and shelter and love. And as you work up the triangle, your achievements in the middle, which would be like your academics and your learning. Um, but that social emotional component is at the bottom. And, and research has shown as kids get that bottom part, then all the rest comes along. So the academic. But if you don't have that bottom part, you can never fully actualize the top. Because it's like the foundation. It is. And so it's the, it's the foundation to everything. And so the goal will be in the schools to teach young adults um, those social-emotional skills, right, the, through learning. And hopefully that will help them as they grow into adulthood to have those skills and be able to um, cope and communicate and collaborate and just be um, adults that have joy and hope and a future. Joy and hope and a future. Thank you for joining us. Make sure you join us next week. I'm Anna Marie, and that's Focus.